0: Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it.
1: 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all.
0: We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? Uh, my my would be, I mean, As I get older, the number of things that could be causing the problem seems to go exponentially up
1: oh god yeah it's just never yeah. one thing they're like well we think it's a combo of the sleep <laughs> and apnea it's the, <laughs> and it's the same thing when you're 13 cuz it's like is it my hormones right. is it the fact that i have to be in L, you know junior high is it the fact that you know i have to live with my parents like Name your poison. It could just literally be anything. So I think that that is a uh, that yeah, that's a bummer.
0: But I also feel great. I have my little. It's like I'm wearing a um for the. They're not connected Over. right now because I literally think they might interfere. It's a walkie I have to wear it for a month. I thought you were going to show me your pasties. Oh, my God. That would be hilarious. No, that's like the new pasties. Um, So for a month, they're trying to get me off all heart meds. Thank God, um, because I don't need them anymore. Um, um, But my cardiologist, you know, is like fancy and she's like, we got to do this. So these tests, it's it's a month long pocket EKG I wear, but it's so annoying because it's literally like having a, a, another electronic device in your pocket all the time. And also it messes with the internet. I'm not kidding you. Like <clears throat> people, they said it wouldn't, but I'm like, mm, I, I don't, it's elect. I mean, there's, there's electrical currents running through the, I don't know. Anyway, so I've been up and now I feel like I'm on crack cocaine, but I am not.
1: God, I, I just feel like people have such wild ideas about how the way the world works and, and you know, and, and informed by myself included. So it, it's informed by like this deep belief you have about this knowledge that you have and then how that sometimes, so I, about this whole submarine thing. Oh my God, you, everyone
0: <laughs> is ta- here. I don't know about there, but like every grocery, I went into our grocery store and like three sort of pimply faced teenagers in the produce section who worked at the Winco, which is the greatest grocery store, but they were like literally talking about the weight of the window pressure. And I was like, Oh God, excuse me. I was like, I need some lemons. Can you move the fuck out of the way? But yeah. like, well, tell me, tell Dude, me uh,
1: what I think it is. Cause I got really into it too. And I, and I think it's one of these situations where it's a, it's a, it's a drama that's unfolding. That's on the news that is, personal in a certain type of way because you're like oh billionaires fuck them they can die who cares or you think wow how ironic you're gonna die with the wreckage of the titanic but it's acceptable and it's not right i hate to say it this way but in a way it's not a bummer well it's also
0: yeah it's not too traumatic (laughs) yeah it's not too traumatic like it's 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 also weird and it's also uh yeah, it's all the things we like. Do you remember when we were young and that that girl got stuck in the well? Remember that Jessica, yes. baby Jessica? Jessica, baby Jessica. That's so right. That was that was we were glued, but we really didn't want her in any way to be harmed. And then right. she, they got her out, right? They got her out of yeah, the well. They got right? her out. She's so, alive and well. But I had a similar feeling oh, here, like, I mean- <laughs> oh god. We don't she's know. She's alive and not in a well. Exactly. And she could be well, but she's maybe not in a well. Uh, yeah. She's unwelled. <laughs>
1: I guess she's probably had to contend with that horrible pun her entire life. Wow. I'm sorry, Jessica. Jessica. We're so sorry. <laughs> um, wait, wait. But oh, yeah, that was, but
0: I had a similar vibe where like everywhere I went, they were talking about the girl in the well. And now, literally everywhere I went last week in Ventura, people were like, you know, no, no, no PlayStation. And, and you know, like it was controlled by a PlayStation controller, like literally, Wait, what? okay. What? This is the thing that the teenagers told me yesterday. They were like, listen, the way they controlled the, I don't know, something was an off brand PlayStation controller.
1: Yes. And, yes.
0: and fucking teenager was like, listen, I didn't buy that controller for my PlayStation because it seemed too unreliable. (laughs) I was like, Oh boy. So, so um, yeah, that's where I get all my news from the fucking produce section at (laughs) Winslow.
1: I mean, it's as good as places any, I mean, in a way, I have to say, I felt disappointed that they supposedly died so fast because I was imagining a scenario. Of course, my like little uptight narc moral self was like imagining them down there being like, you know what? Maybe this was hubris, you know, maybe we shouldn't have spent so much money and yet had so little kind of like there was so little thought apparently that went into this. And maybe this is a great example of why you know, there is such a thing as having too much money. Right. And there ha- there is such a thing as, you know, wow, you're, you feel so, imagine feeling so invulnerable. Oh my God. That you think nothing of doing this. I mean, I guess that's why we have explorers, to be honest. I mean, I guess explorers have always been rich, but you didn't need to explore the Titanic remains. It's well documented. There's no mysteries there. Yeah, what were they just, trying to do? Like big old weirdo wanting to see the wood. I was I just like, I, what's the appeal? Honestly, what is the appeal? Yeah, I don't. That's what
0: I was going to ask is like, what was the mission? Was it just like a, it's just like a
1: um, fun thing to do. There was no doc. Doctor- Yeah, it was just like a fun thing to do. And the youngest one on there, the 19 year old didn't want to go, but it was Father's Day. So he was like, I guess I have to do this for my dad. I mean, they had like some sandwiches and some It was also men, ooh, yeah, of yeah. course, men planned yeah. this journey. Yeah. You know, women would have been like, like we no way need any, we don't need any assurances. We don't need any safety just, compliance. Just checks. give us some
0: um diet Cokes and like maybe some, some like some ham, ham and cheese, ham and cheese sandwiches, <laughs> maybe some seafood salad. And like, we're good. Like we're good. No problem. The other thing is how long was it literally supposed to be just like a day tour? Like how long were they supposed to be there? I know? think it's supposed to be a three-hour tour. That's hilarious.
1: <laughs> don't tell me you're not funny, Gina Polici. Do not I, well, tell listen, me. The toilet was what? so... I'm focused on this toilet. What are you talking about? I don't know anything about the toilet. Not. It was like basically a bucket, but they, had a, but they had a curtain you could pull around it. So my ass is not going. I went to an outdoor concert the other day, oh. close to home. Yeah. You know, like I've been to those porta potties. They're not the grossest thing in the world. My ass is really scheduling around, I'm not going to go into this porta potty. So I'm going to stop drinking at this certain time. And with my meal, I can't have my water. I'm just going to have to dry mouth it because I am not going yeah. into a porta potty. Yeah. It's my mission in life to yeah. never enter a porta
0: potty. Well, my problem with a porta potty is I always look down. Why do I look down? Because what? How else could you? Can't you? Can't not look look down? And I am like, oh no! Why did? And and, and once I look down, I go into gagging mode, and then. But you don't have to look down. Some people just say, keep looking straight ahead. But then I
1: always, I'm thinking about it now and I'm going to puke. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's because there's always, somebody told me this when we were filming the movie over the summer and it was all in these campsites and, and the dressing room was a fancy porta potty, which just meant, I'll give it this, the well or the like the hole was real deep. Okay. So it wasn't that bad. Well, how did right? they Cause do you the- do that? Wait, did did the production dig a hole? No, 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 no. Like at the, this California State oh, Park, right, right, whatever, right, right. their porta-potties had a very, very deep hole. But there was, you know, 30 of us and we were there for three and a half mm-hmm. weeks. I, I cannot, I cannot, I cannot. Mm-hmm. So by the end, there was no place on set you could be where you weren't downwind. Of this porta potty, and I oh, somebody no. told me that they their biggest thing was they were they were afraid that something was going to come up from under. They always had to look because they were afraid something was going to come from underneath and bite them.
0: Oh, that's it? no, that, that's <laughs> my worries, Tina. I'm worried of seeing other people's feces. I don't give a fuck yes. about an animal. Get the fuck out of here. The animals Ooh. aren't stupid. They're not coming out of there. They're not going in there. No animal, no shit eating and anim- <laughs> No, come on. What is, we got like bats? I, I don't know what eats shit, but it's not going to, no flies. But here's the thing. No. no, no, I don't need any of it. I just think it's awful. But, but then I often wonder like, yeah, I have so many thoughts. I mean, the worst movies ever are where people have to hide in the porta potty. Have you ever seen movies? There's a lot of movies
1: like that. Oh, Schindler's oh, List. I, I, I walked out of Schindler's List on that scene when the, when, when the kids were in the shit. I was like, I cannot, I simply cannot with this anymore. It took me like five years to go back and watch the rest of it. It was so disgusting. So, so not just disgusting, but like so degrading. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it's just one of those things where you go, what's wrong with us? humans so many horrible. things
0: so many things but on a, on a good note i i mean yeah. it, this is this is so like or this illustrates the point and people are gonna be like what the fuck? um i started getting botox <laughs>
1: you did? well i'll
0: tell you okay. why i'll tell you why yeah i am not even gonna lie my husband doesn't know yet and he's gonna be real mad but that's okay um because he he listens re- you know religiously but um so i get migraines so that was the the quote uh-huh. medical reason but then when i went they were like listen let us just do your 11s and let us do." so migraines they sh- you know they go I on this so wow They shoot that. Thank you. They shoot you on the side for the migraines. They'll shoot you on your jaw for the TMJ, which I got. And then they're like, "Don't you just want your forehead and your 11s done?" And I was like, "They're like, it won't cost that much extra." And I was like, "Okay." So it's amazing, and it's the weirdest thing because this is how mad this is how mad I can get. (laughs) You can't. There, there. You no,
1: no, dude, dude this is nothing you your face is not frozen right. i'm surprised that you have i would never have yeah. guessed it because I, that's usually the kind of thing i would notice right away like why is boz's face not moving it's your face is totally so, moving yeah you
0: know it is good stuff also you don't i was just going to tell you you don't need it you always have your forehead never has lines ever you have never had lines in your forehead yes i do bear But you have to really work at it. And also you don't have the 11s. No, no, you don't have resting 11s. So what I'm saying is you're not there yet. But I, what I noticed was I like all the Colombians in my family have the 11s and like my mom, everyone. And so I was, I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. And now I'm obsessed. And they did a little of the crow's feet, but I didn't really care about those because those are like fun lines. Those are like laughing lines. Right. Yeah. I just didn't want my elevens were the thing, and also, um, yeah. Well, I never
1: noticed them before, but you look great. Yeah, it was fun. And I can't believe. I mean, you're like the. You should honestly see about um, a sponsorship deal with Botox because you're a great example of how like people are so afraid to yes. have that frozen. No, face it and is. You
0: don't. And you face. you go to someone who really knows what they're doing, and they also um, are really subtle and they don't get crazy and you know you pay a little bit extra for the for like the really good like you know people that are reputable and not sort of Mm -hmm. uh, these people are nurses I mean I guess you have to be a nurse but anyway so um anyway that's a good thing and then I mean I have become so LA but also in it I needed to so I couldn't get I couldn't lose this last. I did not get liposuction, but I, um, I couldn't lose the last. I really, for heart health, I need to be 40 pounds lighter. Okay. Not, not for, not because I'm going to die if I don't, but because, and I was with diet and exercise, I couldn't. So my doctor was like, okay, we're going to try Wegovi. I was like, oh no. Okay. You're doing it. So I'm on Wegovi. I am
1: obsessed. I want it so bad. Okay. So here. Okay.
0: So, and, and it's so interesting. Like people really. Uh, have opinions, right? Like everyone has an opinion about the injectables, like so many people. So for me, someone who has struggled with their weight my whole life, and I've just, I finally was like, a friend of mine got on. So Ozempic and Wegovia are the same drug. One is made for medical reasons. One is made strictly for weight loss, which is a medical reason, but not so. But I happen to have, you don't need any other diagnoses, but being overweight to be on Wegovy, But I do happen to have other diagnoses, which is hypertension and uh, uh, arrhythmia, right? AFib. So that qualified me. Okay. It's really hard to get. It's really annoying and all the things. Okay. But I got it and um, my insurance approved it. It's a really wonderful drug because what it does is it's really interesting. Like, look, I don't know what, how other people are using it or needing it, but what it does is it literally tells your brain you are full when you are full. So they think those of us who have um, weight issues, obesity issues, um, there is a hormone missing that says you are full now. It is not willpower. And like we, it's it's all a combo platter, but I literally now feel like I, I don't have this preoccupation with food in terms of, oh my God, I'm. I, what did I eat? When did I eat it? It's not even just the preoccupation with being hungry. It's the preoccupation with the whole thing. And so I legit, I mean, I legit have lost. I think I've lost like I don't know. I've been on it now a month, and I have lost like eight, nine pounds. So that's good. Eight pounds, yeah.
1: <gasps> oh my god! Do you have diarrhea no. and so nausea? You,
0: I, I, I've had it right after I sh- inject. Yes, um, but you you legit get those symptoms when you don't change how you're eating. So you have to do both. So like, I had to really cut out a lot. Like I can't do fried foods. I can't do fast foods. I can't do, I was trying to cut those things out anyway, but most people in who have those diarrhea bouts and intense stuff are, are not changing their diet at all on the drug Oh, which is a problem okay. you can't eat the way you can't eat crazy you can't eat massive amounts yeah. so i am on month two and i love it it's really it's like hunger games to try to get the goddamn drug like i had to oh my god they don't have it anywhere and because you know i guess you know, the manufacturer and people are hoarding or I don't know what it is, but I like, I got it and I continue to get it from like local source. It's hilarious. I call like the local Ventura pharmacies. I'm like, do you have 1.7 milligrams? And they're like,
1: we do. Is it
0: $1,000 no, a No, my insurance, it's twenty four ninety nine.
1: Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. So you just have to get your doctor, your doctor has to.
0: Yeah. And here's the thing. Like all the things are true. If you stop taking it, you will gain weight back if you don't change your thing, but your set point. So like everyone has this set point that they They have ingrained in their body from childhood, whatever. You can call it hormone, you can call it trauma. It's really hard to get past this one set point. And my set point needs to be lower. Like, I need to go beyond that if I'm going to be heart healthy. And I couldn't figure it out. And my doctor was like, F it, we're trying. We go,
1: like, come on, we're going to just do it. And I was like, really? Okay. That's amazing because you know I know that whole thing about the set point is true because when I was 24 and doing that traveling tour I was running 6 miles a day. I was starving myself. I would have like a, a an egg in the morning, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I was doing two shows a day running the entire time plus running 6 miles in the morning. And at my very lowest weight, I was 134 pounds, which is about like what they'd say a person my height is supposed to weigh. And I'm like, only if I'm Fantine and Les Miserables am I ever. And that was 24. Like I could never. When, when we start, which is congratulations, Sydney Cole Alexander, you survived. Ah, years.
2: thank you. You did. And you I did. Honestly, I,
1: and I honestly, I I was just telling Boz I the reason I um, contacted your people is because I was listening to this. Um, Audiobook about The Sopranos and Edie Falco was talking about SUNY Purchase and the SUNY Purchase Mafia. And I was like, the SUNY Purchase Mafia. And then I just immediately went on and looked at everybody who went there. And I had actually already wanted to have you on a long time ago. So you were the first person I reached out to because Severance is like my very favorite television show in the world. But we'll get to all that. You were telling me your approach to self-tapes, which have a way oh, of bedeviling. Oh, I'm, so, I'm so, so excited to hear
2: that. Well, I think for me, at least the training that I got was so theater-based. And then when I started auditioning for camera, I wasn't really sure how to transition. And we had some classes, but it just, it wasn't enough, you know? And I think I, I, I pulled back so much that I started to be so flat. Like no personality. And so I've just started approaching myself tapes a little bit like theater because, you know, we've been taping theater since the pandemic. And I just realized when I was watching my my tapes and doing them for, for theater projects that I was so much more alive and made choices and was willing to kind of be more of a clown and be silly and not worry about what I looked like. And so I've been trying to kind of just approach my self-tapes like theater now where, you know, maybe I, it's not quite as large, but I don't know. There's something about just approaching it like theater that to me just makes more sense. Maybe because I'm trained in theater, but I got too much in my head thinking about the camera.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is, that is, I love that. Oh, go ahead. Buzz. No, I was just going to say um, I love that. And I also wonder, like, part of it is, too, and we talk a lot, obviously, to theater conservatory trained actors and theater based actors um, that have started in theater, is that the transition, I think nobody knows how to tell theater actors how to bring it in without losing the lifeline of the character or the scene. It is very hard to communicate. And so what ends up happening, especially in casting offices, I think, or in, in in self-tape land or what is like, oh, it's too big. It's too much. It's too big, which actually is 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 valid, but it's like, okay, but then how do I not do what I'm doing? And nobody really knows how to say that, but it sounds like Yours is also like an attitudinal thing, like in terms of the way you're looking at the process of self-taping theater. To me, like when you say it, it it like looks more joyful and freedom and like spontaneous. So that's amazing. That's what I was gonna say. So I'm gonna try it. I'm gonna try it. Yeah, give it a can... shot. See so how it
2: feels. You can always delete the tape, right?
0: Sydney, <laughs> I don't think I was a very good stage actor. Is the problem? So I'm not. No.
1: Say- no. She's wrong. I've seen her on stage. I believe Gina. Okay. So so tell us about SUNY Purchase. Like, why do they call it the SUNY Purchase Mafia? Her description in this book, by the way, was just like, or maybe this was my interpretation. Everybody gives all this credit to NYU, but you can only afford to, only certain people can afford to go to NYU. You have to work harder to get into SUNY Purchase. Is that kind of your I idea mean, about it. So I w- I've
2: been going to performing arts school since I was in the eighth grade. Um, like I went to PPS and then I went to LaGuardia and then I went to purchase. And I don't know, for me, I think like the whole purchase mafia thing is about how we, we try to have each other's backs and communicate and, Um, My friends uh, Claire and Wayman actually put this awesome alumni uh, program together and like had everybody come and support the students in their showcase because sometimes the crowd can be a little thin, you know, and it really helps to have people laughing and, and backing you. And so I think like we were very aware that we were not a school with a ton of money for a lot of, you know, alumni programs and that it's kind of up to us to to be a group and to support each other. Um, but when I auditioned for purchase, it was really not my first choice. I didn't know much about the program actually. I wanted to get as far away from New York City as I could. So I think I entered that audition more relaxed, which is why it ended up being my best audition. I'm so glad that I went
0: always the way, it's always the way. And so, okay, so can you tell us about the other schools or like what where you thought you'd end up and how it went down?
2: So, I mean, I, I thought at first that I wanted to be a singer um, and I really didn't want to stay at PBAS because it was such a small school. And I remember, I think it was one day we were like, let's, uh, let's see how quickly we can pass a rumor around the room. And it was like 30 seconds. And that was the whole grade. I was like, I got to get out of here. And so I ended up going to uh, LaGuardia because I didn't get into the um, vocal program. It was like an opera program. And I sang Ain't No Sunshine by Bill Withers. It was not going to happen. So I went to LaGuardia for drama and I really, really enjoyed it. And so when I was thinking about schools, I was kind of thinking about, I don't know, LaGuardia felt very. I don't know. It felt like home. It felt very real and I think once I started like seeing seeing the kind of the audition process, it was more enlightening than googling the schools. Like being in the room with the teachers and auditioning and seeing what kind of direction they give you. So I had auditioned for Carnegie Mellon. I really can't pick up choreography quickly. So I remember I was in that dance call and I was like, this is not happening <laughs> by the end of the dance.
0: Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, because I happen to have stalked you on social media and you, uh, you were doing. Were you in a, a show where you were dancing? Because you, you were dancing in your Instagram. What was that then? What did I see that magic happen? So let's not talk about not picking up choreography. You look like a trained dancer in the video.
2: I think I was just nervous for some reason. I felt awkward in my body, and and I would try to like fake sick or pretend my ankle was swollen. My teacher, Miss Aldini, was calling me on my bullshit all the time. Oh, can I? Sorry, on my oh, crap. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. oh, sure. <laughs> Calling me on my bullshit bullshit all the time, and I I remember when I went to um, purchase. We had dance for two years. Oh my goodness, my teacher was awesome, but the first thing she said to me was, "You are not allowed to ask any more questions." So it was one of the first things she said. I was so mad at her. I actually ran into her recently, and I was like, "Thank you, thank you for saying that," because I was in my head. But I think I just felt like I got to get it right. I have to do it right. If I if I make a mistake then I messed up. And this, um, I started taking this dance class for fun on my 30th birthday. I was like, I'm going to take myself to a dance class. I want to do something that makes me kind of uncomfortable. I'm going to go alone. And I ended up going to this, um, uh, this woman's class, her name's Angela. And she was all about making mistakes and it was so freeing. And now I love going to class and I love dancing. And I almost feel like, wow, maybe I could have been a dancer if I had given myself the chance, but you know, hindsight's twenty twenty.
0: That's amazing that you talk about that that a dance class in where mistakes are embraced. Oh, I mean, I am just obsessed with the idea of sort of making mistakes. And someone told me, I've never been fortunate enough to be on set with Meryl Streep, but someone told me that on set with Meryl Streep, when she flubs or messes up, she literally just goes, oopsie, and they move on. There's no, there's no like... Big drama about She doesn't it. make a play about or it. She doesn't. Yeah, she doesn't like <laughs> chew the scenery up talking about it or yell at somebody that it's their fault. She goes oopsie, and then they all move on. And I was like, oh, oh my gosh, if we just had an oopsie orientation to life, we'd all maybe do be so much better off, you know. But it's lovely to hear. So, so you went to that dance class on your thirtieth birthday, but at at SUNY, you thought. Okay, let's go, let's go back. So when you're auditioning, you auditioned for Carnegie Mellon, and you were like, "No, you didn't like. Tell us about that process of auditioning and how you chose your school.
2: I I didn't have the best grades in school because I was more concerned about having fun and copying my friend's homework you know and so i i mean i really I, I remember my senior year like i would skip class and I would just go to drama class I would skip the first half of the day then i'd just go to drama class so my grades were okay and you know they were i was gonna get into college for sure but i w- didn't excel in academics um and I think also looking back like i just didn't feel very smart growing up and so like i already had this mental block about any anything that wasn't like you know creative writing or, or history or earth science i like things like that. But math, forget about it. I was terrified. And so I already had like a little bit of like a limit to the schools that I could, you know, approach because of my grades. And I knew I didn't want to audition for Juilliard because it was across the street from LaGuardia and it was just too familiar. Um, So I auditioned for North Carolina School of the Arts. I auditioned for the musical theater program at Ithaca. Um, And I think... A school in California. Oh my God, it's so long ago. I can barely remember. And then Carnegie and Purchase. And that was it. And I ended up getting into Ithaca with this like scholarship for singing. And I was excited, but it was still really pricey. And I took a look at the program and I was like, Purchase just has an excellent program. Um, it doesn't make sense not to go. And so I went there.
0: What did you what did you, Sid, what did you love about that program? Like, what was it where you were like, I belong here?
2: I guess really just, there was something about the way that the company bonded that was really special to me. And my company was like, we had a reputation for being a little uptight. Like, I feel like I left the program more uptight than I entered the program, but I just felt like we really had each other's backs and People would be in the studio working until like three in the morning on their project. And I think one of the, the best things about the program for me, at least in the beginning, was we had a, a teacher. His name is Charles Tuttle. I think he actually taught at NYU as well. And um, he loved teaching purchase students. And he was just such an amazing first year student. First of all, he was so funny. I remember I had, um, I had this, uh, what was it? I think it was called a character arc. So we had to do one scene. We'd work on it and then we'd work on the second scene, and then we'd work on the third scene, and then we'd do the whole character arc. And I was playing this like farm girl, and he was like, why are you wearing gold eyeshadow?" <laughs> and then the next time he's like, why are you wearing nail polish? Do you think that this woman's wearing nail polish? And just the, the attention to details and the expectation that we were really gonna put ourselves in these you know characters' shoes, and, and not just say the lines and feel the things, but really pay attention to the details. I remember my friend Flora, I ended up getting into the same program as my best friend Flora, who I went to LaGuardia with. So funny. But she had was playing a dancer and her toes were taped. And Charles was like, did you do that intentionally? And she was like, yeah. And he's like, that's the attention to detail. So Ooh, wow. I thought that was really special. And I liked how it was really movement-based. We had a lot of movement-based classes and that was so helpful for me because like I said, it was kind of like locked in my body. So it was great to take mass class and dance class and and just have a really physical program as well.
1: Yeah. Well, you said you ended up more uptight than when you went in. What's that story? Oh,
2: man. I mean, we, we'll get into it. First of all, I think that I, I wasn't as disciplined as I needed to be when I entered the program. But it was very clear from the jump that it was – expected that you are on time. If you're late, you are locked out of the class. If you are unprepared, the teachers, they could see through you. They knew. And so there wasn't really any way to, to get around that. And so I kind of had to just like sink my teeth into it, dive in and trust that. I think it, I was a little, I scared to fail really, but trust that I had to just go for it because if not, you're going to get cut. There were a lot of cuts at the time they were doing tons of cuts and our class ended up being a a really large graduating class we started at 21 and we ended up at 15 and we were huge there were there were like groups of 8 10 12 but not really 15. um so so there was that but i think also like we had um what were they called some like reviews essentially um it'll come to me the name of it but we, I remember the first time they're like, dress up, look nice, and then you're going to enter and you're going to take a seat. So everyone came. I mean, I, I think someone wore a literal ball gown, one person. And, you know, we're wearing heels and my feet are shaking like Bambi. I don't know how to wear these heels. And I remember that the walk to to sit in the chair felt like an eternity. And then you would like sit down.
0: I'm literally having a panic attack listening to this. Like I'm going to shit my pants. Like what is happening? Wait. So this is for your reviews. Like your, your critiques. Oh Mm -hmm. oh, no, no no, ma'am. No, no, no. Okay. So you sit down and you're dressed up. You look probably so beautiful, but you're scared shitless. And then what do they tell you? What do they tell you?
2: Oh my God! I mean, there was so many different comments, and some things I could really understand, and some notes were really clear, and then other notes were like, like whole, you need to hold yourself up from your bones and not your muscles, and like things, things like that were hard for me to wrap my head around. To be honest with right. you, oh well, yeah,
1: how, that's old, how really old hard you? for anybody to wrap? That doesn't make any sense. Eighteen your muscles years old. Are what make years you stand? Old? Eighteen. Also.
0: Also, you're 18. Also, that is, for lack of a better term, that is garbledygook And I understand now, as a 48 year old woman, what they mean, sort of. And I can imagine. Okay, so what was the that first time they did it? Every how often? Every year? Every quarter? Four, four, how, four how times we... a year. Four times a year? Yeah.
2: Oh no.
0: Oh, no. Goodbye. Goodbye. Hello.
2: Something oh, like that. Then we were told so, we were too dressed up, so we had to dress down. Sure.
0: so how did you what did you take away sydney from that first i'm thinking that first year when you left that uh, evaluation or whatever that they called it um what were you telling yourself and then how did you move forward
2: well for me like one of the big things with speech uh because i had a lisp growing up um and then i fixed it by just like sticking my tongue in my mouth and so my ssc sounded like this and my teacher was like wow that's that's a very sharp sound and actually um our speech teacher uh lee dylan was so incredible and she was oh my god she was just so amazing so she really helped helped me realize that it wasn't about taking away who you are but it was about finding a way to find like a neutrality and being able to build off of that and remembering that like I think sometimes we can get so attached like this is me this is who I am but really it's about like being open to being different people and that not everyone is going to have your cadence or your or the way that you speak and can you like let go a little bit of who you who you are attached to and and explore a little bit of what what sides of yourself you don't know I felt also like I really took away that I was so scared to really, really dive into my own feelings. And I think, like, there was something about what was it? One of the, I think, one of the most important things we did was like uh, being private in a public space. So it's this exercise where you sit and you do something little and just being in the space. And our first year teacher was so good at, really holding us accountable. And like I said, calling us on our bullshit if we weren't prepared, but if, if we were prepared and if we were trying, he, he really fostered an environment where you could, like we were saying, fail and, and kind of mess up and, and be messy and just play around and and learn about ourselves and slow down and breathe. And so that's what I really took away, um, from my first year was just, taking time and and being open really to things instead of thinking that I knew it all because I was a literal teenager and I knew nothing. Well, I knew things, but not as, you know. At the same time,
1: like, I might have thought I knew it all, too, because you've been going to performing arts school since you were in, like, sixth grade. Is that, is that when it started? Eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first of all, how did you get there so young? And uh. second of all, I mean, I don't really blame you for thinking you kind of already got it because you really did have so much training. But obviously what you're saying is there was something more personal that you really couldn't tease out yes 13 years old that you know you had to wait until you were a little bit older but how did you even uh wind up starting your training so young Mm
2: -hmm. so I, i always knew that i wanted to be an actor like i don't really remember making a decision it's just something that i've i think i've like i've known since i was like four or something and so um, I moved around a lot as a kid. I'm from Chicago originally. then I lived in Jersey for a year. and by the time I got to Long Island, I, I lived there for seven years. So that had been like the longest I'd ever stayed somewhere. And I my mom worked a lot and she wasn't home a lot. so I had a lot of after school activities. So I was doing it all, you know, art, dance, Girl Scouts, like an anti-bully thing, everything. And so I just kind of started to realize when I took um, chorus. That I liked performing. And then we had this um, we had a um a middle school play. And so I played T moon in an all-white school, which was fascinating for months on this island. And then um we had this like dance um slash singing group. It was called the quarter tones. We wore kids and you know, high socks and sang old school songs and we go to nursing homes and it was really fun. And so by that time, I was really, really really interested in performing. And I knew for sure that that's what I wanted to do um, with my life. And my mom had gotten a job and we had to move to the city. And I was pretty resistant about moving again. But the idea of being able to go to performing arts school was really exciting for me. So I remember that I think PPAS was like one of the only performing arts middle schools. um, And it was grade six through 12. So it was also an opportunity to potentially continue on that trajectory in that school. So I, I remember I auditioned for that school. I got in and I think at the time, all my friends in middle school on Long Island knew that I wanted to be an actor. And I remember like screaming that I got in and my friends were jumping and running and running through the halls and everyone was so excited. And so I went there and then, you know, um, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the New York City uh, high school situation.
1: Oh. I am I, um, like the whole Regents thing and everything, yeah.
2: Yeah, so the, the thing about it is that the zone schools in New York City can be pretty tough. Um, they don't always have good educations or graduation rates. Um, and you're like st- kind of stuck in your zone. And at the time I was living on Roosevelt Island and uh, I definitely didn't wanna to go to school there. And the issue is that you, you kind of, if you don't have a lot of money and you don't get into a specialty school it's just kind of tough, and so I needed to get into some sort of school because I think it was like some someone was telling me it was like twenty five thousand dollars a semester or something for a high school. It's crazy, and this is you know in the two thousands. Um, so I um, auditioned for a Frank Sinatra School of the Arts, LaGuardia. I think I auditioned for every performing arts school that I possibly could, and I ended up like I think getting into all of the schools, and that was kind of mind blowing to me, right? Because I didn't feel talent. Did. I didn't really... Have much confidence at all. I'm yeah, really none. And so it was kind of like a boost. And I remember like moving to the city and being like, oh my God, there are people that look like me here. This is so cool. I feel more relaxed. There are so many nice different kinds of people here. And um, so I ended up going to LaGuardia and I wasn't sure if I really I loved acting, but I thought maybe I'd do musical theater, maybe I'd be a singer. But I decided to go to LaGuardia just because I didn't want to go to PPAS anymore, but also because I remember when I was in the, um, audition thinking this is really hard and I'm kind of intrigued by that. Like I'm not, uh, I have so much to learn and I have, I don't know, I feel a little nervous about acting and it was exciting to take on something that, that, that I felt like there was so much room for growth and expansion for me versus, I mean, of course that's true with singing too, but I don't know, it seemed like there was more to do for me in acting. And so I kind of just went that way. Well, who, and, and I'm curious, who are your, when you were that age, who were your
0: heroes? Like, what were you listening to? Who were you watching that you, that you really admired and that you were like, yes, I want to do what they do. I'm just curious, like who your people were.
2: You know, it's funny because I, I was actually thinking about this question before I came on here because it's like one of the, it's one of the questions that people ask you in agency meetings and, you know, um, right. in casting directors when you're auditioning for schools and like, I don't know that I really ever had one. I I always just kind of felt like I have all these creative thoughts and I have all these emotions and what else am I going to do? You know, it kind of just felt more like, like just something that was built into me, but I will say- when i saw tomb raider um with angelina oh, jolie yeah. i was always really interested in angelina jolie because there was something like beautiful and stoic about her but she was also playing all these like physical characters and yes i didn't yes. know at the time that i love to work out now i know that but i i loved like how how badass she was and how she was taking on all these intense roles but that she was also doing so much physically and i remember just thinking oh, i want to do an action movie so yes. good badly. And so she was definitely one of the people I was looking at. But other than that, I don't know that I had like a, a ton of, I know I really liked Scarlett Johansson growing up too. Um, but I don't know that I really had like a hero in that yeah. way.
1: Honestly, same. I'm the same. I have uh, people that who I just love their work. Mm-hmm. But when I try to think, uh, did I imagine emulating myself after somebody? No. And for me, my answer might be, my reasoning might be a little bit different than yours. My reasoning was like, I didn't really see that much of myself and, and, you know, yeah. the, in the people on screen, but um by the way, Salt is an underrated film. Agreed. And, I mean, they filmed that. I used to live in the building that they filmed part of that in. So no way. I mean, to fame. That's so um, cool. Okay. This is just kind of switching it up a little bit. We had Tremel Tillman on here. Mm-hmm. He told us a crazy story about auditioning for Severance and uh-huh. like the stakes and it was so dramatic. I mean, and his story was so. If you've listened to the episode, I did. He's I like did running on the pier
0: in <laughs> wherever that is, where where wherever they have those auditions. And like, there's like there was like a houseless dude with a cart, I think, involved. And like, anyway, so um, yes, we, uh, Gina, more so than me, but I am a fan of Severance. But Gina really turned me on to Severance. So, um, I, uh, what was that like? Can you tell us your audition callback booking story for Severance, for sure. and how it impacted your life
2: for sure so i um i think they were doing like the recurrings of course after the series regular so mine was like right before the pandemic you know popped off so i have i'm, I'm usually really really good about reading all this you know specs on the page and like understanding like you know how many scenes does this character have how many lines but for whatever reason I misremembered this role and I thought it was a co-star. And so just like purchase, I was relaxed. I was like, oh, it's just a co-star. It's just a news scene. And so I went in with way less pressure because at that time in my career, like if I had a callback, I would be shaking. Like the paper would be like this. I would be shaking so hard. I would be so nervous. And yes, the adrenaline yes, would be like, oh, yes. wanting it. And so I think I went into that space a little more relaxed and I had, like, the audition was fine whatever then a couple maybe like a week later or something i get a call from my agent uh no my manager i get a call from my manager and they're like hey so you have a call back um and it's going to be with ben stiller and i was like excuse me what because you know i grew up watching ben stiller i you know it's someone that i like saw in so many movies my whole life and of
0: course it's like it's like intense and you were like why would a co-star be with ben stiller in a callback and they were like is is that when you found out it's actually a bigger role than you thought or
2: well then they added another scene for me and i was like okay cool and so i i went back and i reread and i was like ah it's a recur okay and you know normally i would beat myself up for not paying attention to something like that but i was like wow that was the best mistake of my life and i i remember like you know, getting, getting kind of in my head about it. And I thought, okay, okay, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. It's going to be fine. Like take a breath. And so I prepped for the callback, uh, with my friend Sam on the phone. And I worked with an acting coach for like 10, 15 minutes, maybe on it. Um, and so I, at the time, like, I was working at SoulCycle. I was really broke, but I was like, "I'm taking a cab to this audition because I'm nervous and I don't want to be sweating. Let me just go in and and just take a cab up to the Bronx and be relaxed." So I get there, and I remember I walk upstairs um, because the callback was, um, you know, on the set—not on the set, but you know, uh, the production office was over there, and I remember like sitting in the room and seeing just like one other girl who definitely was auditioning for my part, but she came back out with different sides. They wanted her to read for someone else. So I was like, okay, cool. That's a good sign. And then I was like, don't pay attention to her. Focus on yourself, breathe. And there was just a couple people around, but I remember I was like sitting and I was waiting for that, that moment of the nerves to come. And they just didn't. It was, uh, the only way I can explain it is it felt like the stars aligned. I was supposed to be there in that moment and it was my time. And so I went in and I did the callback and Ben was so nice, but they were wheeling in like huge towers of like hand sanitizer and all this stuff we were getting, getting ready for, you know, the pandemic, but this is like pre-mask, right? So there was no handshaking. It was a little, like a little bit like, um, more distant just because no one knew what was really going on yet. And so I did the callback And I remember it actually made me laugh because Ben was like, oh, you went to LaGuardia. And I remember thinking, wow, wouldn't all this student dead and all anyone ever cares about is LaGuardia. But um, I did the callback and I remember like, I think he like smiled or something or like chuckled. And I was like, that's pretty cool. And I remember calling my boyfriend when I left. I was like, it went well, but I didn't book it. You know, I didn't book the role. I, I didn't get that feeling of, yeah, I got it.
0: Wait a minute. 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 This is wild. So you didn't have the nerves. You went in, you made Ben Stiller laugh. And what, why did you say you didn't, why did you think you didn't book it? Cause you usually get a feeling that's like, I, this is mine. I booked it at the end or that's wild.
2: May I think part of it was that I was just so unaccustomed to, to being relaxed that I felt like there was like, um, something's wrong something's off like i wasn't used to being that relaxed so i think it just felt different and i couldn't really understand that but then um i got told like way later no no i I think i was told like oh you know sydney's in the mix for natalie um and you know that took some time and then it was like hey she's still in the mix but we're shutting down for two weeks and i was like oh okay and i'm like Losing it because at this point, you know, I am I know I'm onboarded for more than one episode if this happens and I'm really excited about it. And then they get back and they're kind of like, hey, so we're going to be shut down, shutting down for longer and we, you know, no one's getting approval yet. So it took months and months for me to find oh, out whether or not my. I booked a job. I was going insane. Of course you were. This is,
0: this is very, this is, I've heard the story before with the pandemic and it's like, we had someone, I think it was Gilded Age, same sort of sort uh, of her of like, Oh, Kelly, like, Kelly. No one knew what was happening. And then, so wait, how many months are we talking?
2: I mean, maybe I'm being dramatic because it felt like eons, but I think- it might've been like three, four months. It, it took oh. a really long time. And they they were kind of communicating that like I, I was voice sure. choice and all of that, but that I couldn't, you know, get, it wasn't going to be the same process because everything was shut down. So then it was like, we're shutting down for four weeks. We're shutting down for another four weeks. And then eventually I got a call that I booked the job. And then like 15 minutes later, I got a call that I had booked like a national commercial on the same day. And I remember I was like, this is the best day of my life. This is Great. I was so, so, so happy. I was just like running around screaming and celebrating and it was so fun. It was great. Oh, And so well-deserved after just sitting
1: on pins and needles, not knowing. I hate that. That's the thing that's just people can never, I don't think, really get accustomed to is just your life being feeling like it's on the wind and it could go this way or that way. The other thing is that I'm really interested in is Sydney, the, the, the
0: sort of the way that we as artists, all of us cannot trust our feelings all the time. So like, so there's one thing to, to not the, the business is out of control. Right. But then also our own process, I'm like, why didn't I get a call back? It makes no sense to me. I'm perfect for this role. Or why did I? And when people say it's like, it's the leap from when people say, and Gina's big on this and other people are big on this, saying like, you know, what is for you will not pass you by and what is not yours is not yours. But it's really hard to know in that process. What, yeah, because we just don't know. And you could think, oh, I'm not right for this. And then you get it. Or so this this is like. It worked out. It just feels like this was clearly your role. It is clearly your role. And then did you, so you booked that and the same day you booked something else and then did you go right into production or was there another wait or, okay.
2: It was a long wait. I think it was like, I think it ended up being almost like nine months delayed or something like that. So it was a really long time. Um, But I just started prepping in the meantime, you know, I wanted to just, First and foremost, I remember when I when I read the pilot, I was like, "Oh my god, I love this!" And I remember feeling so lucky and so happy because I think, like as actors, you know, like I, I really would be so glad to book anything, and I want to work as much as I can, and I'm so grateful for all opportunities. But if I get to work on something that I respect and that I like, wow, it felt like I, I hit the lottery, really. And so I remember when I read the pilot, I was like, "Okay, this is a special pilot." And I remember telling my therapist, like, oh, the show is going to be a hit. He's like, you know, manage your expectations. Maybe, maybe not. I was like, no, no, it's going to be a hit. Because I hadn't felt that way since I read Handmaid's Tale, you know? And I remember just thinking, like, immediately, immediately, I was like, okay, I need to look into cult stuff. And so I started just like researching, and I had a lot of downtime, obviously, as most of us had. And so I was just like watching anything I could possibly get my hands on about, you know, um totalitarian groups and cults and it was really, really helpful. So it really gave me some time to kind of like settle in and like think about what it's like to to belong to a group like this and where your mind has to be and to kind of like humanize the experience as well. And so I spent time doing that, but it was, it was a really long time. I couldn't wait to get on set. I was so excited. It's all I was thinking about really.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, well, and also this quality that you're describing about feeling like it was really meant for you. I mean, I, Trumell talked about that too. And just, and I don't know how to describe it, but that does come across in the show. There's nothing um, as thrilling as the show is. There's nothing like that makes you feel um, nervous. You know, when you watch, even in a really great show, when the stakes are really high and you watch actors just, acting so hard you know just it's just wow you're working so hard and there's none of that on Severance and it's it's such a great contrast to how devastating the material is but every single performance is so understated and it's actually kind of making me think about the thing you were saying in the beginning about being theatrical in your self-tapes because Natalie is quite stoic she is you know keeping it all in and um it i always hear people talk about when they're playing somewhat unsavory characters you know you can never think of yourself that way you have to think of the character and what they're what how they see themselves and you know sort of like everybody pretty much sees themselves as essentially a good person so how does that thought process work for you and thinking about crafting that character because she's as cold as ice she makes your blood turn cold yeah I'm sure that's not how you're thinking about playing her
2: I think it's a balance because for me, I, I really wanted to be realistic about how she sees herself, but how other people see her too. And so not that I judged her, but I kind of, I've, I, I hold her accountable for the things that she's doing so that I can really understand what it is in the outside world. And then I can kind of forget that and then be her, if that makes sense. But I I just thought about like what, the connection was for her and how much it meant to her to be or means to her to to be connected to to lumen to the Egan's, and what the stakes are if she if she loses that and i think that especially in groups like this it, it feels like death so the stakes are life or death and i mean creating the character was interesting because i remember the first day i went on set it was so quick i think i we shot for like 20 minutes or something for this quick news scene. And I was like, oh, that's it. And it was, that was kind of it. But then the next time I had come in for the second day, Ben had seen my Crest commercial and he was like, hi, Crest girl. And I was like, hey, you know, and he was like, I want to see the Crest smile, you know, and, and I just had to kind of trust him. And I feel like it ended up being really creepy. And I didn't expect that. Cause you know, I I hope that in life, my smile is warm and not, off putting. But um, I remember just like feeling like almost like I don't know how do I explain it, like a conduit to the gods in a sense where I could like, feel their emotions and then translate that. And so I I just tried to to focus on what was I communicating? What was I hearing? And is it the answer I want to hear? And if it's not, how can I get that person to give me the answer that I do want? Because I think that like, Natalie is okay with who she is and she's okay with what she's doing, you know? And so she's not conflicted in that way.
0: Well, the thing is, the thing is that with that show, everyone for me is completely, it's just so well, the world is so... Well constructed, and you can tell, and the writing obviously is brilliant, and then the directing is brilliant, and then obviously the acting is brilliant. So you have all these brilliant parts, and then it is as if um, two things are going on. It's the it's the closest I've seen to some being able to know that these characters, like you said, are all in. They buy into whatever is happening is life or death without being, it's not showy. But you definitely get that the stakes are so high that i it's one of these things where I watch when I watch Severance, I know my blood pressure is through the roof, but I actually appear to be really calm in the room. And that's like because that's how all the characters are. I'm like, wait a second. Why do I feel like I'm going to die? And yet we're just like having this normal, boring conversation I'm watching these seemingly boring or like average conversations. So it's like so smart. I think that's what they mean when there's when something's
1: smart. Is like I don't even know I'm being boiled alive.
0: That's right.
1: That's oh my god. Yes, very that. Very that. Very that. Sydney, are you big on um, backstory and building your characters' history? I mean, even if it never comes across on the page, definitely
2: for sure. And so I, I created a backstory for her that I just like kind of have in my head. Um, but I also like really, um, I, like I said, I had been working at soul as an instructor and like, I knew what those meetings were like and the, and the reviews and how, how someone can be smiling at you and you feel like you're being stabbed. And so I I pulled from that a little bit too, about what it's like to be in a positive environment that has like an undercurrent of something else going on. And, and because you can't, quite articulate it. And you can't say, oh, you did this, right? Because nothing's really happening, but you feel it in your body. And so I think like that experience and in working for that company um, for a couple of years really gave me some insight into, into how these discussions could go and how you could kind of like chop someone's head off and paralyze them without doing anything that could be written down and be clearly seen as abusive or cruel. And so because it's, because it's a little underhanded, you can, I feel like you can almost in that world be like, whoa, what are you talking about? And just turn it around on the other person. And so I pulled from that as well.
1: Oh my God. The fitness world is very that. And a lot of people call soul cycle. I know I'm not one of them, but people do call soul cycle like a cult, you know? Like well, also, you know, it's also a it's really the ultimate gaslighting, right? It's the ultimate gaslighting
0: that's done with a smile, but also you don't. The thing is, in those environments, I think we're left not knowing w- what happened to us. And I, I think it taps into all of our, at least my stuff of, wait, am I r- wrong? Are they wrong? Am I, what, ha- what just happened to me? I know I've been profoundly changed. I just don't know what's, what's happened. It also is interesting to me. That you have mentioned a lot of times, um, like about phys- being connected physically, right? And uh, and connected, and that sounds like where you make a lot of your stuff. And, and Angelina Jolie seems to be the, a similar kind of artist, where there's a lot of. Um, risk-taking physically and also um, embodying characters physically. And I wonder if that is also what makes Severance so brilliant, is that all of the actors on that show have a very specific physical presence, like Trammell, everyone, and the clothing and the what goes on their body, the the, the look. Anyway, I just, I think Everyone on that show, their physicality is so specific that I am like, it's just like a, it's like a play. It's like a really good play. And everyone has made the comparisons to theater with Severance, I think, because of that. It's just so specific. I'm like obsessed as a writer too with world building. And I'm like, this is a world like no other. And it is so specific and yet so General and and, and uh, uh, understandable in the same way. It's brilliant. It's really brilliant art. I mean, it's.
2: Well, oh, go ahead, Sydney. Well, no. I was just gonna go say, like the, I mean, the set helps so much because everybody, everybody there has done such a wonderful job of building the world. I mean, like everything is lumen, a pen, a post-it. So it's not just like what the what you know the audience is seeing on the screen. Like when you enter that space, you feel like you are at Lumen. And so I think because there was so much specificity anyway, it was a little bit like easier to just kind of step into it. And also like Natalie has, has such better posture than me and she's so much more still. And so I think that really helped me like kind of feel like there's like boiling inside to not be able to move as freely as I would. And I also kind of, I don't know if I'm using the right martial arts. So, uh, you know, but I think it's like jujitsu in a way And severance, like your people are always using your own energy against you to disable you.
1: Aikido that's Aikido
2: yeah <laughs> I, it's
1: funny that I'm glad you mentioned stillness because you really do employ stillness in such a powerful way and and actually watching you makes a person realize oh yes of course this is the like the the um, the epitome of, of strength is can be found through stillness sometimes you know she's so clear on exactly what her intention is, what she's saying, what she's conveying, what she's getting across. So yeah, the epitome of stillness. She'll come back. Is it like the strength is
0: found in those still moments? And I wonder um, now as you approach your like, because I'm assuming you're still auditioning for other things. You're doing other work, right? While you're you know doing um, severance. And so it's like, do you uh, has this process of working on this show informed your the t- how you take on other characters and auditioning? and when you book roles.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Well, first of all, I think like for me, like obviously working with Patricia Arquette was incredible and watching her work was such a huge lesson because she has such intense eyes, you know, and like it was, I mean, really everybody in that show, they're all so easy to work with because they're all so talented and they're all so committed and they're really listening. And, you know, when it's my turn for my coverage Everybody is working just as hard, and it was uh, first of all I just respected that so much, and I admired that so much, and I was like, ah, that's the kind of actor I want to be as my career develops. Like I love that, I love to see that, and um, you can tell that people just just love acting, and and are and and no matter how many years they've been doing it, like they're glad to be there. And so I think in a way, like I feel so lucky because it's such an incredible experience. And I don't know that every experience will be like that, but this was such an right an amazing thing. But um. I think now it's just like, I think it's what I've learned is that when you, when you make your choice, you commit to it and you just go all the way and you just do it and don't comment on it. Don't comment on it from the outside, but just see what it's like to really commit to a choice. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And then you try something else. And again, like making mistakes is okay.
0: Yeah. And so how was that handled? This is just a question for like this like the sets you've been on and, and, and particularly this set, um, was it the kind of set and they're all different, I suppose, but like, was this the kind of set where you could, you could try things out and make mistakes and, and you would be guided and, um, and supported. Did you feel really supported in making choices?
2: immensely supported and I mean I think like like you know first season like I was nervous I was really nervous and like I was just trying to kind of get it together but like as, as more time went on like I would kind of lose my nerves and like start to be like oh I have an idea let me try this but also like I think like each set's different so some sets you can do so many takes and then in other sets I think what it was for me is I realized that if I was really really listening and paying attention and I had already done all of my homework and knew the lines like the back of my hand like I could recite them in my sleep it made it just so much easier to be open to things it also like as someone who was just auditioning a lot I realized that you can plan and prepare but you have to leave a lot of space for what the other actor is going to do so you can't come in and think this is how the scene goes to go in and be like oh this is how I think my character feels about the the scene and and this is their intention and also I'm going to be open to having the conversation like it's the first time ever but then on other sets you know you have one one take, two takes, three takes. And I think that's, that's a very different experience than like Severance where we, we've done, you know, many takes and, and have time and rehearse.
0: It it is more ensemble sort of based. And also I think it helps that the creator, like everyone is a lot of people on that show. They don't, they're not, they act as well as write, as mm-hmm. direct as produce. So there's a, there's like a real feeling to, yeah, it's, it's just like a whole production vibe versus yeah. something that's just for television. And then we move on. It just, it feels like a family uh, yeah. sort of situation in the same way that I got the same feeling from like the Sopranos, even though they're very different shows, but like you get that um, something comes through that you all really uh, appear to love working with each other mm-hmm. and that is a something you can sense in the work uh watching for me and then my next question is okay so are you still singing are you still are you still are you still moving your body are you still dancing are you do what's your what's your take on theater what do you oh. want to do yeah like what are you oh. doing right now while you're not being a, 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 a famous television actress, are you interested in doing theater? What's happening oh, yeah, in your life? Oh,
2: yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, um, I'm working on, like, you know, a couple things right now. I can't talk about them quite yet. But um, but I, I definitely, like, I realized that I want to do all of it. I wanna do all of it forever. I wanna do theater, okay, same, same I wanna do more. film, I wanna okay. do TV. Because I think that they all inform each other, you know? Like I came back from doing a play in Colorado for three months and it was an amazing experience. And I felt like a better actor when I came back because I was doing yeah. it every single day. And I was rehearsing and doing a play and finding new colors, even though it was the same script every night. And so I think like, for me, it's it's like the biggest tune up in the world going and doing yeah. theater. But I will say like, I've really been focused on wanting to do film and TV. And simultaneously, I was in the mix for like two Broadway shows recently, which was so exciting for me because, oh my God, just even to be in the mix for me is so exciting. I don't care, I'm happy, I'm glad. But I I didn't realize how badly I wanted to do a Broadway show until I was getting kind of close. And I was like, okay, that's on my bucket list.
0: Well, Sydney, it also makes sense because you are, a uh, were a kid that grew up in New York at a performing arts middle school and high school, mm-hmm. and then, and and as much as uh, it's probably in your DNA to be yeah. in that Broadway mix. So, um, so okay, so you still like your dream is still to be in a Broadway show, yes. and do you, um. What about singing? Are you singing? You said you liked to sing. I've been
2: thinking about it. You know, it's like one of those things that kind of like fell off for me a little bit. I think I want to start taking lessons again. But there's something about singing that for some reason, I don't know why, but I'm thinking like, maybe I need to have like one bit of art that's mine, you know, Ah. that I just do just for myself. But I definitely, um, the thing about me is that I'm, I'm an alto, you know, maybe mezzo soprano, but I remember when I first got out and I was auditioning for like, you know, Broadway musicals and wow, they'd be like, what's next in your book and what key. And I'm like, I don't know how to answer these questions. So I told my agents, like I would love to do a play where I'm singing, but I don't know that I'm the person to be going out for these shows because the competition is tight. And you know, these amazing actors are working their butts off and have studied this. And so I think yeah, that, like, I, I would yeah. love to sing for sure in a show or play a character that sings, but well, really I'm I need to get picturing back into it. you.
0: Yeah. I'm picturing you playing a character on a TV show who's like a pop star. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Oh yeah. Like, that would character- be so fun.
2: Like I would character,
0: love that. Yes, like we're like looking at one of those yeah, like one of those shows where yeah, it's about a pop star um and it's someone who can obviously the actor needs to we act their butt off, but also can sing. Like I could see that happening. Um, I also, yeah, I, I think there's so many ways that you could go about it. I guess the other thing I wanted to ask was, which we try to ask all our guests is like a younger person in that was maybe either middle school or high school, what feedback would you give them? Cause we have a lot of people that listen that are like my, my, either my kid wants to go to conservatory or so. A kid or a parent of a kid coming to you, 16, 17, really loves to be on stage. And what would you say, if anything, to them about next step in terms of conservatory education?
2: So I've thought a lot about school since I've left because um, I'm glad I went to school and I think I needed it. Like I said, I needed the discipline. I needed to be on my house. So it was good for me. And like I was working, you know, junior year, senior year, three shifts on the weekends. I was really busy, but I started going to therapy um, on Friday mornings before school. And that was really helpful for me. So I would say like, I think that there's really no perfect way to approach it. Some people want to go to conservatory. Some people don't. I think everybody needs to be in a class. So I think there's one route, which is going to school. And also some people want the experience of going to college. You know, this is a long career and a long life. And I think that sometimes we like, think about acting is the only important thing ever. And while it to me is like the most important thing, you have to be a person with interests, with with balance in order to, because I think when you have that feeling of desperation, it gets in the way and people can kind of smell it and it stinks on your taste. So I would say like, ask yourself, like, do you want to go to school? If you want to go to school, definitely check out conservatories and if you don't check out classes, go find an incredible voice coach. And I would also say that, especially to like young people, like find out what your priorities are. If your priorities are like partying and going out, then that's going to be the main aspect of your life. And if your priority is your work, then that's going to be the main aspect of your life. But I really, really, really would encourage anybody who does go to conservatory, to go to therapy because one thing that was really challenging for me in school was like we had a teacher and we were doing sense memory and i remember he was like you shouldn't use a memory that's fresh it needs to be seven years old or longer but you guys are so young so you'll have to pull from New stuff. And we were creating these like traumatic people and these traumatic events. And at the time, I really didn't understand what I was doing. And I don't think it was good for me. And I think that if I had also had Mm -hmm. counseling or therapy, I would have been able to do this in a in a more constructive way. And I also just think that like learning about like psychology is really important to understand people. And people, I think, like, I don't know. I feel like going to therapy might be (laughs) one of the most important things for actors. And so I would say like, no matter what you're doing, just try to remember that you're on your path. You have to do what's right. Keep yourself healthy. Keep your mental health in check and keep your life balanced. Because when you keep your life balanced, when you have even like a side job that isn't all consuming, like for example, bartending, I didn't think it was very helpful at all. Like it it, to me was more stressful, but I think like if you can find a way to to balance your life and ask yourself, what do I want to spend my day to day doing, then that's really the right answer. Because I'm, I looking back on it and looking at people's careers, I thought that you absolutely had to go to conservatory to become an actor. And I just don't feel that way anymore. I think it's a great choice for some people. And some people maybe take classes and jump right into it. Like I was auditioning right out of school because we had a showcase at LaGuardia. Sure but I wasn't ready. You know, I really wasn't ready. I I thought that it was enough to just kind of get off book and know the beats, you know, and that was it. And so for me, it was really good to go to school and like Mm -hmm. get very detail oriented, but I, yeah, I would say therapy and to ask yourself what's, what's right for you, because there are so many different ways to approach becoming an actor and there is no one path.
0: Amazing. That is like the greatest. And also Gina and I are both therapists. So we believe in whole. We love when people say go to therapy. Thank I, I, I your wholeheartedly work agree. Time. Yeah. And thank you. And thank you for coming on. And um, it, do you want, is there, where can people, are you on the socials? Can they follow I you? So the, I followed them. you and you followed me back. That was <laughs> I very did nice. You of,
2: you. Back. of course. So if
0: you're on Instagram. What's your handle? If people name,
2: wanna... Cole Alexander, My full name, S Y D N E Y, C O L E, and then Alexander. That's it. Yeah. Perfect. No Twitter. You
0: are amazing. <laughs> we will let you know.
1: If you liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survive Theater School is an Undeniable Inc. production. Jen Bosworth-Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Inc., please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.